This is Ashley, and this is School and Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. This week in Mentor Moment, I want to talk about networking. Networking is one of those insidious things that everyone feels like they know how to do. I like to compare it to washing clothes. Everyone feels like they know how to wash clothes. Everyone feels like it's something you're supposed to learn before you go off to college. Everyone knows to not to put the whites in with the darks and everyone knows not to use bleach on your colors. But there is a lot of ways around traditional networking, like traditionally washing clothes that's outdated and that is not really driving results. And so I want to talk about some of the traditional components of networking and some more strategic ways of networking to really drive results in your career. So for example, with traditional networking, there's a lot of asking higher ups to put you on, you know, or asking someone you know to put you on. The whole premise of the networking is that you find someone who's well connected, who maybe is rich or well has lots of visibility and you ask them to trade, right? Some of their visibility or wealth or connections to you. But more a more strategic approach to networking is being able to speak to your expertise with senior level leaders so that they can benefit from connecting with you, right? That you have value, that you have something to offer, that not only do you, are you, not that you're asking someone to quote unquote put you on, but that you are providing value at every stage and in every relationship that you're a part of. Traditional networking says getting your foot in the door and a seat at the table is enough. But I argue that showing up in the room and providing immediate value and impact is really what you want to do if you're looking to network strategically. It's not there's very little value in quote unquote getting your foot in the door, having someone put you on or having a seat at the table. I was just talking to a prospective mentee and um, she was talking about how she has a seat at the table, but she can't really leverage that seat because that seat has no power, right? There's no use in being quote unquote at the table if you don't have any power, if you don't have any influence, if you don't have any impact. Traditional networking tells you, you just have to quote unquote get a foot in the door, have a seat at the table. But if that foot in the door and that seat at the table has no power, has no, drives no impact. And quite frankly, if you're not making enough money, it's quite honestly not worth it. What I really encourage professional women to do is to think about what it means to show up in the room and provide immediate value and impact, not just hoping to have a crumb or what's left over from others. Traditional networking says compliment them, ask them about those cowboys or anything to make a conversation. But when you're working networking strategically, you want to be familiar with the work of the people you're connecting with. You want to identify where there are parallels with their work to your own, and you want to express genuine interest in their work. You want to do all of this before making an ask. Certainly, it's okay to make an ask. It's okay to connect. It's okay to even recognize those connections as part of the conversation, but just to be, oh, how about those cowboys? Yeah. Can you give me a job? That's not a really thoughtful way to approach networking. And you just really want to be more strategic than that. Plus anyone who has power influence will see that coming a mile away and the disingenuousness will not uh, benefit you or fare in your favor. And then finally, traditional networking really relies on your winning personality to help you advance your career. And winning personality aside, I really want to invite high achieving professional women to rely on your ability to articulate your expertise in a meaningful way and to speak to the real impact that your work has on the organization, on the clients, the customers, the patients, the students, or the communities that you serve. So we really just 
want to be more strategic, we want to be more intentional, and we want to move away from traditional models that don't really serve women or don't serve Black women and actually have a model that can drive results. If you're looking for a more strategic approach to networking and to be able to leverage relationships that you either have right now, or maybe you leverage relationships that you haven't yet built to really drive action in your career, then I invite you up to apply to the Mentor Me Accelerator. You can do so right on my website at mentor-me.org. The December and the January cohorts are now forming, and I invite you to apply today again at mentor-me.org. Next up, and I digress, this week we're talking over overcompensating. Are you quick to crack jokes to cover insecurities you feel about yourself? Or are you quick to downplay the accomplishments of others because you secretly wish they would achieve less to keep pace with you? On this week's episode, I'm going to talk about overcompensating and how I often, or how I sometimes overcompensate, I would not say often, and why I'm committing to interrupting this habit in the new year. So I define overcompensating as like a shield or a barrier to the truth. Overcompensating sort of puts something in front of the truth. It puts something in front of earnesty and honesty. It puts something in front of you and, you know, maybe the person that you're talking about or the object of your discussion. And anything that serves as a barrier or an obstacle to the truth is something that's probably not good for you. And I would say that overcompensating is just that. The places where I, I in my own life, see overcompensating pop up the most is around relationships. So, you know, whether it's like relationships, romantic relationships or relationships with family or friends. I think that because relationships take two, right? Relationships are not solo dolo. Relationships require trust and communication and connection. Sometimes we can overcompensate or sort of overplay our hand, if you will, because we don't always know or understand or can comprehend what the other person in the relationship is feeling, understanding, processing, et cetera. And so we might you know, quote unquote, do the most in the relationship. We might, we might, you know, act out. We might uh, call too much. We might be too clingy. We might be too distant. We might not be as communicative as we desire. We might not be as vulnerable as we need to be because we might be overcompensating for an insecurity or a lack or a childhood trauma that we've experienced. And that won't allow us to sort of fully show up in the relationship as our whole selves. And all of that can be described as overcompensating. But let me give you an example. I think that in, you know, I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated and was initiated in college and undergrad in my junior year of of undergrad. I love my sorority. I'm so passionate about our motto and our commitment to service and just everything the sorority stands for. And, you know, whenever I connect with a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, whether it's like literally in the street or on social media or anywhere, like I'm quick to like, you know, show love to that woman, you know, work to befriend that woman, support her, defend her, whatever. Like I'm always, you know, ride or die, right? For my sorority. And, you know, maybe that could be perceived as like overcompensating the relationship that I might not even have with a person just because we have a shared of shared affiliation through, you know, Alpha Kappa Alpha. So even if we aren't, you know, friends or even know each other, I might be more friendly, more accommodating, more supportive than, you know, I would be if it was just someone else that I didn't know or didn't have a connection with. You know, I think that's an example of that. Or maybe like in your relationship, you find your 
yourself being like really clingy, really wanting to know where your partner is and what they're doing and, you know, what's going on with them. And, you know, you're attached at the hip and maybe you're overcompensating for, you know, a lack of trust in a prior relationship or an infidelity or a lie that happened in this relationship early on. And even though there's been forgiveness and, you know, you all have moved on, there's still an overcompensating because of a lack of sort of trust, right? And a lack of honesty, or maybe even you approach your career like this, right? So, you know, you didn't get the raise or promotion at your former job. You weren't recognized for your expertise. So in this role, you're putting your head down, you're doing the work, you're, you know, kind of going quote unquote above and beyond overcompensating for how another organization didn't value you or your expertise. And so I, whenever I recognize that I might be overcompensating, right? Whenever I recognize that, you know, Ashley, like maybe you're doing the most here. And let me be clear that overcompensating and driving excellence are not the same, right? Like you, for me, like everything that I do, I want to operate from a place of excellence. I want to be approaching excellence. I want the work that I do to reflect excellence that's important to me and and that's a priority for me and that's on purpose right like that that is literally on purpose and so I think that's excellence but overcompensating is like doing the most for like no reason or doing the most from a lack of from a place of like lack or trust lack of trust or trauma or something like that and so I don't want to confuse the two but when I do recognize that I might be overcompensating I do try to like slow down or even pause myself and say like where is this company coming from why are you sort of going so hard on this why is there a perceived lack here why is there perceived trauma here and if it's not just perceived but it's real like how can you address this before the overcompensating impacts something else negatively right because when you're over in one place you you want to strive for harmony right so if you're over in one place that means you're not operating from a place of harmony likely right because you are under in another place right you're not um, in an even place and as much as possible we want to maintain a level of harmony not necessarily balance because it may not always be balanced but it can be harmonious and so I think that whenever I recognize that in myself I try to interrupt it by like understanding where it's coming from and addressing the root of the matter rather than the symptoms of overcompensating. And I also, you know, work to be vulnerable and let people in my life know like, hey, like this is something I struggle with or, you know, I I tend to overcompensate here or, you know, so that they can pause me, that they can stop me, that they can interrupt me, that they can look out for me and make sure that I'm not overcompensating in any area. Because again, when you're overcompensating in one area, it typically um, will show up negatively in another area and it'll negatively impact another area. So this is just something we want to pay attention to. This is something we want to look out for. And some of the questions that I like to ask myself when I feel like I may be overcompensating is like, what's the, de- what's the desired outcome for this work? Right. Like, and not that every out receives an equal input, like not that everything you do receives like the same thing that you put out and not even that it's meant to, but I just want to check with myself, like, what am I expecting to come out of this? Because if I am expecting nothing, then that's fine. I can do it. And and that's fine. Or should I be expecting something? And is what I expect a reasonable, or am I tripping because I'm overcompensating? Right. So I'd like to ask like, what are the, what is the expected outcome? And then like, am I operating from a place of peace, joy, and ease? Those are core foundational values. 
noise for me. Like if I'm doing something out of place of peace, joy, and ease, cool, right? Like that makes sense to me. That's a good decision. That's something that's aligned with how I want to live my life. If I'm grinding through something, if something's like way hard, if it doesn't feel aligned with peace, joy, and ease either now or in the future, then I really need to check to see if it's something that I should be doing. And the answer usually is no. It's probably something I should not be doing. (laughs) So those are ways to just check in on yourself. Those are ways to give a pulse to yourself and to your work. And those are ways to pause and interrupt overcompensating and overcompensating and really operating from a place of harmony as you enter in the new year. I'd love to hear like how you view overcompensating. If you see yourself overcompensating ever, if you have sort of observed someone else overcompensating all the time and it kind of drives you crazy, I'd love to hear those stories. Feel free to email at hello at schoolandlifepod.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at schoolandlifepod.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram um, at schoolandlifepodcast on Instagram. That's schoolandlifepodcast, S-C-H-O-L-I-N, life podcast on Instagram. And I digress. So next up is TVT, and I am excited to share that I have been watching Harlem on Amazon Prime. I have never watched, or I've never had Amazon Prime before and never really had a need for it. In fact, I literally just started buying things on Amazon like two years ago. I know all the other girls have been hip to Amazon for a long time, but for me, I literally just never bought anything from Amazon. So I'm finally starting to use Amazon more regularly, and when I saw... Harlem, the comedy series that came out in December on there, I just knew that I had to buy into Amazon Prime and watch. I've watched the entire season and I certainly hope they come out with another one because when I tell you they love us on a cliffhanger, they left us on a cliffhanger. Okay. So, 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 so good. I just love seeing Black girlfriend TV shows. I love Black women. I am a Black woman and we just are so dynamic. And I just love to see us on the screen and like living our best and our worst lives. And and Harlem stars Grace Byers, Megan Good, Sean Kui, Ashandai, and Jasmine Guy. There's another lead, and I'm not thinking of her name. So wait, Grace Byers, Megan Good, Sean Kui, Shandai, and there is another lead, Jerry Johnson. And actually, I have a tie to Jerry Johnson. My fiance, he, she was a student of his. And so I've never met her personally, but he knows her pretty well. And so it was exciting to watch it with him and see her character come to life. But yes, really, really love the show. I will tell you that I literally hate the, char- the character Angie. Like, she drives me crazy. Like, she's just the most irresponsible, flighty non-accountable character I've ever seen on TV. And I really hate that they cast her like that. I don't know. I just, ugh, it just drives me crazy. I really, really hate that character. I, and I want to love it. Like, cause I love her fashion and the way she looks and I love her energy, but her as a character makes me want to pull my hair out, but all the other characters I really love. And actually I really do love Jerry Johnson's character. I think just so good, so funny and so relatable. And I really do love that, that they're just, just, I always like, 
I, I always knew that I wanted to be an educator. I always knew that like, I wanted to teach people, like telling people what to do is like one of my favorite activities. And I love that Megan Good is a professor and, you know, she's just so fly and so cute and she's living in New York and she's, you know, working in academic leadership. And I just so much identify with that character and like how, how she lives her life and that whole thing. I do not identify with the way that she is still messing around with Ian and Jameson. And, you know, I don't like that at all. Cause I feel like girl pick us at, you know what I'm saying? But, but I do really love just like that storyline and just more, yes, to more women academics on TV. Like, even if it's just people playing, like, playing a role, like I just love it. Cause I feel like so many women I know are female academics and yeah, like, I just feel like it's, you know, more of our stories need to be told. So I just love it, love it, love it. I'm so excited about it. So yeah, if you haven't watched Harlem already, get into it. It's so good. And I really want to see the show supported so we can see more of it. I have seen the memes. I'm comparing Drake and Tyler Lepley. And yeah, Drake is still more fun. Like Tyler got a big face. I mean, Drake got a big face too, but Tyler got a big old face and I just, it's, it's, it's a no for me. Drake stills in the lead here. If you want my expert level opinion, but so good. So good. Definitely encourage you to watch this, watch, laugh, learn, um, and then report back. Let me know what you think about the show. Again, it's on Amazon prime. I know all of you girls already have Amazon prime. It was new to me, but I think I might keep it as long as Harlem is on the roster. That wraps up this week's episode of school and life. Thanks so much for listening. As a reminder, we are really close on School and Life podcast to a big milestone. We're approaching 100,000 downloads over the life of the show, and we would love it if you would help us reach this by sharing School and Life with a friend. You can share it right in the podcast player um, on our website or on Spotify or on or on Apple uh, Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show. We would love if you do that and help us reach this milestone. We'd love to reach it at the top of the year. Thanks so much for listening. School's out. Class dismissed.